Let's get out our Bibles, and uh, you can go with me to uh, the book of Mark, and if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one in front of you so that we can study it together. If you don't own a Bible, just take that one with you. It's a gift to, uh, uh, to you. We really love studying the Bible together, and we are here in uh, the book of Mark. We're actually finishing out Mark chapter 12 today, uh, Mark chapter 12, and uh, if uh, you... If you turn there, I want you to lift high the name of Jesus as we do this. We're going to look at uh, finishing out this public ministry of Jesus. And and as you turn there, um, I think it would be no surprise to you to know that my kids ask a lot of questions. It's kind of uh, what kids do, right? Uh, My kids ask me a lot of questions. Like my son is constantly, uh, Judah's constantly asking me, hey, Dad, Um, who's your favorite superhero, or who's your favorite Marvel superhero, or or can Batman take Superman, things that keep an eight-year-old up at night, and uh, or or, or, uh, JC is always asking me, daddy, daddy, do you you like the picture that I just colored, or or can I do this, or can I listen to pentatonics, because we're in full Christmas mode in our house, Um, or uh, Jolie, my oldest, recently has been asking, hey dad, do you do you know how to solve math problems by casting out the nines? Which I have no idea why she's even asking that. The obvious answer is no, I, I don't know how to do that. It's math. Uh, but uh, she asks me nonetheless. My, my son Javen asks um, snack, water, read it, which is really more of a command than a question. But uh, sometimes, sometimes their questions get a little bit more serious, like um, when they start asking about um, why people act a certain way and they see uh, people doing things they know they're not supposed to. Um, or uh, they'll ask things like, why, uh, how, do, how do we know that the Bible's not just made up? And uh, they ask a lot of questions, and when the questions get serious like that, you better have some good answers, right? Well, Jesus is going to ask us a question today. And there's a lot riding on our answer. And uh, just to recap where we've been uh, the religious leaders have kind of had this uh, Q&A session with Jesus in, in chapter 12. If you remember this, three different times they came up and they were asking him uh, different questions. The Pharisees came up and they were giving it a shot. They were asking him, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And, and by the time Jesus got done answering that question, the text says that they marveled at him. And then the Sadducees sent someone in and, and they asked about the resurrection and and, and one of the scribes came up and said, by, you know, after Jesus' answer, he recognized that he answered them well. And then a scribe gave it his shot and asking, what is the greatest commandment? And by the time uh, he's done answering, um, the text says, verse 34, uh, said, after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Q&A is over. Jesus won, all right? They were trying to trap him in his talk. They were trying to trick him so that they could take him out, but uh, Jesus now is going to turn, uh, and he's going to ask a question. It's his turn. So if you're there, verse 35, um, here's the question that he asks. Um, I'm going to move this so that I don't uh, fall all over myself. That would be embarrassing. Verse 35, here's what he asks. He says, how can the scribes say that... Uh, the Christ is the son of David. Here's, here's what he's asking. Who is the Christ? Who is, by Christ we mean the Messiah. 
Essentially what he's asking us this morning is this. Do you know who Jesus is? It's the most important question. And you, it's, it's, it's not really uh, just looking for a verbal answer. Quite honestly, your answer to that question will be evident by the way you live your life. Do you know who Jesus is? He's going to show us here at the end of chapter 12, um, th- these guys who didn't get that, the scribes, and then uh, a model of somebody that models for us those who do, this poor widow. And and the contrast, I think, gives us this powerful picture of uh, discipleship. Either you are a disciple who gets it, or you're not. This is kind of the question that Mark's been trying to uh, answer for us through this whole book. Who is this guy Jesus, and then what does it mean to be his disciple? And if you really are a disciple, it's going to be evident by the way you live your life. So let me give you a... Uh, a big idea of the text before we really jump into it, all right? Uh, here's what we're going to learn, that, that true disciples make Jesus their Lord and give him everything. That's what we're going to see here uh, this morning. I'm going to start reading verse 35. Let's read through the end of the chapter there. He said, as Jesus was uh, teaching in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and they like greetings in the marketplaces and and, and have the best seats in the synagogues and, and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him. And he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Father, I pray that um, right now you would teach us again. One, uh, that we would see uh, your son Jesus, and, and we would see that you really are glorious. And that we would, as a people, we would want to lift you high forever. And never get tired of that. Because you're Lord. And not only are you Lord, but you're our Lord. It's, it's personal. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us what it means for us to be uh, under submission to you as Lord. And those who are willing to uh, give our all to you. And God, I pray that you would uh, teach us today that it's worth it, that really only you are worth giving our lives to. So I thank you that you give us your word, and I pray now that you would uh, speak to us, make it clear, and 
fill us with your spirit so that we can understand and so that we walk out of here changed and wanting to uh, obey and apply this to our lives. And we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you make Jesus your Lord? I think there are uh, two fitting responses, right? Two responses we see in the text. Here's one. If Jesus is Lord, then he comes first, not me. He comes first, okay? Uh, Here's this question that he's asking. How can the scribes say that the Christ is uh, the son of David? So it's commonly taught and believed at this time that the the Messiah, the the, the Christ, was going to come from the line of David. There's good reason for that. There's kind of biblical reason for that because all the way back years before, back in the Old Testament, God had made a promise to King David that he was going to establish his throne forever. You're always going to have someone to sit on your throne for all of eternity. That's a pretty big promise. And so in the Old Testament then, the prophets start to look forward to this coming Messiah, this one that's going to be king. But uh, he's going to be a king in the line of David. David really was the greatest king in Israel's history, in their golden age. And so really what they're looking forward to, they're kind of like, man, if we could just have another king like David, that's what we need. But Jesus here is starting to actually question whether that is is really sufficient for understanding the identity of the Messiah. Is is the Messiah just a man? Is he just a, a man like David? Because if he comes from David, then that would really kind of assume that David really still is greater and he's just carrying on what David already started. Uh, but, but here's what Jesus says. Look at, look at verse 36. Uh, David himself, you see this? You're looking at it? Verse 36. David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared. Now, now time out, time out. Okay, uh, we're, we're going to do something. We don't always do this, but sometimes we need to uh, come over here and, and, and have a little side note about something Uh, We're going to get out of the argument that Jesus is making for just a moment. And and I want to um, uh, help you understand that this verse, what we just read, is really crucial for helping us understand uh, part of our theology. That verse helps us understand the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. When, when, When we say the inspiration of Scripture, what we what we mean is that the Bible is the verbally inspired. Word of God. Jesus just said, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared. So what what we mean is, men actually wrote down the words, but when they wrote down those words, they were doing it under the direction and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. We we, we see this, I've got it for you on the screen. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, here's what Peter said. uh, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You understand? This is really significant for us. This is why I felt like we need to just take a side note and make sure we get this. This is why the Bible is so authoritative. Because yes, it was written down by men, but it wasn't just a, a book written by men. It's really the Word of God. That's, that's why we preach it. That's why we study it and memorize it and, and try to live this out and obey it because it's authoritative. It is God's word. Jesus is, is, is right here quoting from Psalm 110. 
And he's affirming for us. He says, uh, David's the one who wrote these down. He's, he's the author. But, Jesus says, he wrote it down in the Holy Spirit under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. You see that? That's just really important for us. Now, uh, let's jump back into the argument. Okay, here's, here's what he's saying. Uh, he says, uh, verse, uh, verse 36 there, he's quoting Psalm 110. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, which is weird, all right? When we read that, we're like, what in the world? In, in the Greek, that's really just one word. The Lord said to my Lord. But in the Hebrew, back in Psalms, that's actually uh, two words. I want you to see this. I've got it for you on the screen. Unless you want to turn there in your Bible, you can see it in your Bible. Psalm 110, verse 1. This is what it looks like. The Lord, and notice that first Lord is in all capital letters. You see that? Whenever you see the Lord in the Old Testament in all capital letters, that's an indication of the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord. That word there is not in all capital letters because that's the Hebrew word Adon or Adonai. We would translate like Lord or, or Master. And in this case, it's referring to an earthly king. Yahweh said to my Lord, Master, my king. See, when David wrote this psalm, Psalm 110, it's really a psalm of coronation for a king. Yahweh, Israel's true king, is essentially giving his authority to this earthly king. And we know that this earthly king has to be a king of Israel because Psalm 110 verse 2 actually said, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. That Zion is just a poetic name for um, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. So, so, so Yahweh is giving authority to an earthly king, and it's got to be a king of Israel. But David is not referring to himself. David is looking forward to another king. A, a, a future king, the Messiah. And, and so when Jesus is, is, is quoting here, what he's saying is, Yahweh said to my Lord, the Messiah, you see what's happening here? Now, no, don't forget this. The crowds had just celebrated Jesus as the one who was going to come, as this Messiah to establish the, the throne and the kingdom of David. You remember uh, back in chapter 11 when he entered into Jerusalem? Remember that? And they're all excited and they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said this, blessed is the, the coming kingdom of our father David. What they just said is, Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to establish this. So now follow Jesus' logic. Here's, here's what he asked, verse 37. So if, if David calls him, Messiah, Lord, how is he his son? You see, David's not looking uh, to this Messiah as merely an extension of his line, like carrying out his uh, kingdom, what he got started. The Messiah is David's Lord and master. King David is saying, you're greater than me. 
I want you to picture King David, Israel's greatest king that they've ever had. He's writing these words down, and he's literally bowing down, physically bowing before this messianic king to come. And so if if Jesus is the Christ, if he's the Messiah, then he is greater than King David. Because he's not just David's son, he's God's son which is what Mark has been trying to tell us the whole time. He said that back in chapter 1, verse 1, he said Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So if, if David, this earthly king, is bowing before him, I think what Jesus is trying to instruct us here is If he's going to bow, will you? If he is the king and he's the greatest king, then it means we want to lift him up. He deserves all the praise. And we want to put him first. He's our Lord. He is our master. He comes first. But then Jesus is going to contrast King David with these religious leaders who really... um, refuse to bow before the authority of Jesus as their king because they're just putting themselves first. You see that? So he says, verse 38, as he's teaching, he says, beware of the scribes. Beware means look away from them. That's not the example that I want you to follow, okay? Like those guys, they're putting themselves first. And Jesus says they really, they really put themselves first in, 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 in three ways. Here they are. Here, here's one way that they're putting themselves first. They're looking for attention and honor. They want all the glory. So uh, Jesus says they, they walk around in long robes. And, and I brought one of these with me. This is a, uh, a Jewish prayer shawl or a talit. They would wear these. And in Matthew... Uh, Chapter 23, Jesus actually says that these religious leaders, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their fringes long. These these robes have four corners, and at each corner, there's this fringe, these tassels that they would have. These tassels were there. God instructed them to put them on the edge of their garment as kind of a reminder of God's commandments and a reminder to them that they were supposed to be obedient to God's commandments. It's kind of like I'm wearing this wristband that tells me to love Christ and live said. It's a reminder there for me. These tassels were meant. They would see these throughout the day, and it was a reminder for them. I want to obey God's commands. But they had taken the reminder and turned it into a statement piece. They made them as long as they could. Make sure that they stand out so they're going to be noticed. People see how holy I am and I don't forget God's commands and, and I really want to obey God. Do you see me? They would walk in making their robes long so that everybody would notice them. And then, and then Jesus says they, they like greetings in the marketplaces. See, when a, when, a, when a scribe would pass by on the street, the common people were supposed to rise out of respect and, and call them by their titles like, like rabbi or, or teacher or master. Man, they're just eating that up. I want people to notice me. 
I want people to look up to me and respect me. It says they, they have the best seats in the synagogues. They, they sit up front. Everybody else, you got to sit there. You're looking at me. I'm up front. I'm the one who's going to teach you and expound all of my wisdom. And, and they also have the places of honor at the feast. Whenever there was a, a, a feast, it was, it was kind of important for them to have a, a, a rabbi, one of these people that would be honored at the feast. They get to be the center of attention. Man, these guys just got their kicks from getting all the attention and, and, and being seen as important in front of everybody. So they seek all the attention. They seek the honor. But the text also says that they take advantage of the vulnerable. Look at verse 40. It says they devour widows' houses, which is kind of an interesting phrase there. Uh, think about these, these, these widows are, are really vulnerable. And they should have been able to go to their religious leaders as somebody who was going to help watch over them, take care of them, make sure that they were okay. But these guys don't give a rip about the widows. And so instead of taking care of them, they actually take advantage of them for their own gain financially. They're just putting themselves first. And the third way they do is by putting on a false show. Jesus says they, uh, for, for a pretense, they make long prayers. Man, when they pray, they go on and on and on. And, man, sometimes you'd listen to them and you would think because of everything they said, man, these guys are holy. They're, like, really close to God. And, and man, they must, they must really have a great relationship with God. But Jesus says it's fake. It's not real. They're just pretending, putting on this false show to make them look better on the outside. But Jesus says it's not really true. It's not really genuine on the inside. And so because of that, these guys putting themselves first, they will receive the greater condemnation. One, because they're hypocrites, but two, because they're, they're supposed to be the teachers. They're held to a higher standard, but they don't love God. They love themselves. They don't put him first. They want to be number one. And so what Jesus is trying to help us understand is uh, don't, don't be like these guys, okay? Look away from their example. Don't. Don't follow after them. But it begs the question, is Jesus my Lord? Is he your Lord? Because if Jesus is Lord, then you're going to put him first, not yourself. Some of you are so good at this. When you make Jesus your Lord, you, you want him to be on display. Some of us kind of struggle with this, though. We spend a lot of time um, trying to gain people's approval and validate our own sense of importance, and so we've got to uh, portray this image to people that, that we're, you know, we want people to think we're sharp and witty or that we're um, kind of funny, center of attention, or adventurous, or trendy, or thoughtful really spiritual. And so what we end up having to do is, is um, trying to let people see our good side. We have to post certain things on social media. I want people to see that. I want them to see me doing that. We spend a lot of money on our, on our appearance and on our, 
on our, on our clothes and we want to look a certain way and we're going to climb this ladder for prestige and the accolades and, and the respect that I'll get because of this and, and we avoid doing anything that would make us look stupid. I don't want to do that. And I want to look good. And when we don't, we feel um, kind of embarrassed or defeated, maybe even depressed when we start to look around and compare ourselves to others and we feel like we don't measure up. And when we do look around, maybe sometimes we look down on those who don't really measure up to us. I'm just telling you, I don't know if you're like me, but um, this is a struggle in my heart, okay? Jeff Hohenschel is a Pharisee at heart. I like to be liked. And sometimes I, I, I crave this, this uh, attention and recognition and approval and wanting to, to be uh, respected and and. Sometimes it's hard to not think about what others are going to think, what other people are going to say. But, but what I've found and what I'm learning, I hope you're learning this too, is that only the gospel can help me put him first. Because I learned to put to death my pride. The gospel helps me understand I don't have to worry about looking good. And man, that frees me up. Because then I can, I can just admit my inadequacies that I'm not enough. I'm not awesome. But God loves me. I have his favor. I have his approval. And it's not because I'm awesome. I, I could never earn it. I could never deserve it. But it helps me see that he is awesome. He doesn't love me because I'm so lovable. He loves me because he is love. And so then I, 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 I want to give him praise. I realize that only he is worthy of the attention and the honor. I'm not. I want to put him on display. I want his name to be known, not mine. You want that? But when, when we do, when we're putting Christ first and recognizing that he is Lord, then what happens next is that uh, our love for Christ actually leads to other people. Once I put him first and not myself, watch, watch what happens. Uh, Ed Welch has said it this way. When, when, when we do that, we need people less and love them more. See, when I'm putting myself first and, and I need your approval and I need you to think highly of me, I just need you. I need what you can give me. I feel like I do this to my wife, Carissa, a lot. I come home from work and, and um, I'm like talking about my day and what's gone on in my world and, and everything that I've had going on is so important. And part of that is because I need her, 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 her counsel. I need her comfort. I need her to care about what's going on. Or I need her support. I need her approval. And it doesn't even register to me sometimes to think about and ask about what happened in her day. You know what I'm talking about? You see, it's only, only when I put Jesus first until I do that, I really only care about myself. And until I put Jesus first, I don't have time to think about you and your needs because I'm too busy thinking about me. But we, when we see the gospel, when we see what we have in Christ, I realize I don't, I don't need you to fill that up. I have God's favor and approval not based on my performance. Praise God. 
And I want him to be on display. And so I can stop thinking I'm so important and I'm just free to love and care for you and to ask you what's going on with you and are you doing okay? You see, when I put him before me, you come before me too. So we learn to put Christ first as Lord. When that happens, at last, my actions are real. I love this. We're not putting on a show. I don't want to pretend. I know you don't want to pretend. It's kind of exhausting uh, to try to make it look like your love for God is real when it really isn't. You know that? But if you're down with fake and, and you really want it to be real on the inside, the only way to have that happen is to have a right view of Jesus. That, that, that he is the son of God and he is the only one who is worthy of the praise and attention, not me. Do you love him like that? Man, I want us to be a church that is just passionately in love with Jesus. That we think he is incredible. See, if, if Jesus is Lord, then he comes first, not me. But then Jesus wants to show us someone who kind of models this for us. So here's, here's the second response if you're taking notes. If, if Jesus is Lord, then I give him all of me. So he goes in verse 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury. I've got a, I've got a picture of this. I want you to be able to see the temple, just so you can kind of picture what's going on here. Uh, this, this is the temple here. And this is the whole temple. There's courtyard out here. We saw this is the court of the Gentiles. This is where Jesus went in and cleaned house, man. He took out all the money changers and all that was going on. But, but here in the temple treasury, this is happening in the court of the women. This is the closest where the women could get to the temple. And, and, and it says that Jesus walks into there opposite the treasury, and he's watching the people putting money into the offering box. Tradition tells us that there were 13 of these horn-shaped uh, receptacles where people could come in and they'd put in their offerings to the Lord. And some, uh, many of the rich people, it said, put in large Some. So this is kind of like those coin cashing machines. Maybe you've experienced this when you walk by somebody at the grocery store who's like inserting their change in there and they've got a whole lot of it. You could just hear all the the coins jingling as they're, they're dumping them in. It's kind of impressive. Some of these people have a lot of money. But then here comes verse 42. Here comes this, this poor widow. And the text says she came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. So um, I've got one of these, and um, this, I know it's, it's like really hard for you. I picked this up in Israel. I know it's hard for you to see it, so I took a picture of it uh, so that you could see what this looks like. Uh, this, we would refer to it as a, a, a widow's mite, or uh, the Greek word is lepton. And two of these make what the text says uh, a penny, which was really um, this Roman coin that was worth one sixty-fourth of a day's wages. Now I did some math. You were supposed to be shocked right there. Um, so uh, Fairfax County, I, I, I tried to figure out like, you know, uh, a household median income and what a, what a day's wages is. And it, it took me a little bit, but I think I got it. One uh, 64th of a day's wage in Fairfax. I'll save you the trouble. You're doing it in your head right now. I think it comes to a little over $4. So, so with, her, with her two coins, she could have bought a, a quarter pounder with cheese, 
from McDonald's. No fries. Um, or a, uh, she could have afforded a Chick-fil-A deluxe sandwich. Not on Sundays. Um, my point is this. It wasn't much. It, it, it's really nothing. The, the rabbis aren't getting fired up about this. Like, sweet, look how much money we just got. Like, they're, they're not fired up. But look what happens in verse, verse 43. I want you to see this. Look at this, verse 43. It says that Jesus called his disciples to him. I think that is so significant. Why? Why would he do that? He's like, guys, guys, come here. you got to check this out. you got to see this. They're like, what, 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 what is it? They're getting all excited like this is going to be something awesome. This woman, she just put in two small coins. <laughs> okay. Like, why is Jesus making such a big deal out of this? I think the, the reason that Jesus is calling his disciples in, he's saying, come, I, I want you to see this, guys. Because she is a model for disciples to follow. He says, truly, I say to you, she put in more than all of those who are contributing. I mean, no, it doesn't look like much, especially when compared to these money bags of coins that some of these rich people are, are pouring in. But in God's economy, one commentator said, in the divine exchange rate, it's so much more. They, out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. All she could afford for the day was a quarter pound with cheese. But she's putting it all in. And Jesus sees it as so much more because of what it cost her. I think about it, to, to, to the rich, it really didn't affect them all that much. I mean, they still got, they've still got plenty more. But to her, it was a sacrifice. And comparatively, honestly, it might have seemed kind of silly and insignificant, like that's all she's got. Meaning she might, might not have wanted to draw attention to herself as she was walking up to put it in. Didn't really want people to see what she looked like, what she was wearing, and you know, if you just got two little coins like this, it's going to make a little bit of a noise. It's going to be kind of embarrassing. So she might not have wanted anybody to be looking at her, but Jesus noticed. He sees us, right? And he sees what's really going on in your heart. But I think one of the other reasons that, that Jesus noticed this woman is because he cared for her. It's actually kind of sad that this woman is giving all she had to live on to a corrupt religious system. She's handing over everything she has to live on to these men who are supposed to be watching out for her and caring for her, but Jesus said these guys are the ones who devour widows' houses. And so I think on one hand, Jesus is watching her put this in, and his anger is burning against these religious leaders who would take from her. And don't give a rip about her. Because he cares for her. He loves her. But I think he sees that she's giving this to the Lord. So he holds her up. He holds her sacrifice up as an example for Disciples to follow. Now, uh, this is the end of Jesus' public 
ministry. From here on out, it's really going to be more um, private conversations with his disciples leading up to the Last Supper and his arrest before we go to the cross. But here's this publicly, this is, we're kind of left with this picture. A, a, a contrast between these religious leaders who reject his authority and, and, and refuse to bow their knee before him and instead put themselves first and this poor widow who gives everything she has to the Lord. Which example do you want to follow? Are you willing to completely surrender to him? He's trying to help us see that following Jesus is going to cost us. It is. It's going to cost us uh, time. It, it, it costs us weeknights and, and, and weekends where we could have been spending it on other pursuits and other interests, but instead you're, you're committing to things of greater value. You're committing to a local church family. You're committing to making disciples and reaching those uh, that are lost in the world, which means oftentimes you um, realize that following Jesus uh, can interrupt your schedule and agenda. Sometimes you have to give up control of your calendars because uh, you, ever, you ever notice this, that sometimes Jesus will just kind of uh, bring us an opportunity to love somebody or live on mission that we weren't looking for. And if we're honest, at, at, in, the, in the moment, you'll be like, I don't want to do that. I don't have time for that. i got other things i got to do. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us comfort. Sacrifice hurts. And following Jesus is not without enemies and opposition. It's not for those who just want a safe, easy, comfortable life. We are invading the darkness of a lost world that hates Christ. Of course it's going to cost us. It could cost us our very lives. And it's also going to cost us money. Where I could be, um, instead of holding on to what I have in my bank account to give me a sense of security or, or spending it for pleasure and what I want to do, instead investing it in His kingdom and not just amassing and building ours. But see, what He's trying to show us is that whatever we give, even if it's just a little, even if it looks insignificant in our eyes, when it is joyfully given to Jesus as a sacrifice, He sees that. And to Him, it is so much more. And I love that this woman, she doesn't hold anything back. She just put in everything she had. See, if Jesus is my Lord, then the only fitting response is that I give him all of me. You're it. I want you to have it all. But if there's something I'm holding back, like I can, I can give you a lot, but, but if I'm holding something back, maybe, uh, maybe it's um, holding back that giving up a night to have to hang out with you people or, or um, giving up a greater percentage of my budget to the Lord or uh, giving up some me time to bless somebody else or to have a gospel conversation. I struggled with that one this week. had an opportunity to go be a blessing to somebody in our community. Put it on the calendar. Thank God for my wonderful wife. Because all I wanted to do was go home, hang out, have some me time. It's going to cost us. I'm holding back, giving up, 
sleep, to get up and get into God's word and, and pray. If there's, if there's something I'm holding back, it means I'm still trying to be in control. Because either I don't believe that he deserves to be in control and that he deserves to call the shots and he deserves for me to give him any, everything, or I don't know that I can trust him. Is he really good? Is this really going to be worth it for me? But the gospel assures us that it might cost me everything, but it is never a waste. Only he is eternally satisfying. And when I give him all of me, I get joy. I love that. I think about this small little parable that Jesus told in Matthew 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. You got to know that no matter what it is that you're giving to him, no matter what it is you're giving up, he is always better. And so he's calling us as disciples to recognize not only is he Lord, but I want him to be my Lord. I want to put him first, and I want to give him everything because only he deserves it. Amen? Father, I pray that you would make this real in us. Lord, you are awesome. And we have been reminded of what you did for us on the cross and that you did not stay dead. Death could not hold you. The grave could not contain you. And so because of that, you are high and exalted and lifted up. We want to we give you praise. We recognize that you are better than us. You're a better God. It's really foolish for us to try to put ourselves first. So, Lord, I pray that you just remind us of that. I pray that when we're putting ourselves first, looking out for our own interests, honestly, we're just wasting our lives. But it is never a waste when we give our lives to you because you deserve it. And in its place, when we give you all of ourselves, we get joy. I pray that you would prove to us again that you are the greatest treasure. And that when we find you, we would sell everything just to have you. And so, Lord, right now we're giving you control. And we're submitting to you and uh, confessing to you, do, do what you want. Do what you want to do in our lives. You're a better God than us. You're the only God who deserves this. And so we pray joyfully that giving you all of ourselves, giving you and submitting to you as our authority, I pray that you would get the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.